From political instability and the economic R-word we're only allowed to whisper, a set of macroeconomic challenges are driving instability and uncertainty across the business world. At the heart of this disruption is the supply chain and the ability to manage resources such as people, project and finances, as well as being able to plan against a truly uncertain backdrop. I'm Steve Dunn, and on today's Workday podcast, I'm joined by Brian Ball, Senior Supply Chain and Operations Executive at Aberdeen Group. We'll be discussing the supply chain challenges facing organizations and delving deeper into some of the ways they can get ahead of the curve and meet this disruption head on. Brian, delighted you could join us on the Workday podcast today. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks so much. And to, to, to start, really, I think, first of all, for, for some of our listeners, maybe a quick introduction. And could you tell us a little bit about your role at, at Aberdeen Group and, and what you do there, please? Sure. I'll give you my title first. I'm the Vice President Group Director over Supply Chain, ERP, Finance, and GSM Practices, GSM being procurement and common terms, but basically enterprise-level applications to sort of summarize, okay, what's the umbrella there? And uh, so I'm sort of the lead person, analyst, if you will, um, on any of those discussions. And I've got, you know, some folks that are helping me on the data end of it and um, with the surveys that we produce and uh, backing me up. But uh, so I'm sort of the primary when we talk about any of these topics. And for professional business services, it comes under the ERP practice. So think in terms of the professional business services applications as being the ERP for professional service organizations, if you will. That helps. Yeah, that's absolutely perfect. And as I was saying in my introduction, we're going to be talking about these supply chain challenges. So starting there, I think, you know, I read in one of your pieces recently, one of your great articles that the supply chain you know, touches every facet of an organization, which I thought was was pretty pretty telling. Can you talk to me a little bit about you know the landscape today and why is there so much pressure on businesses in relation to resource management? Sure, I think from my perspective, it's it's a very forward, it's very cause and effect, if you will. But mm-hmm. let me explain the cause. So all companies have a supply chain, and it's it's a sort of a because I've been in that world, it's how I think, but particularly manufacturing and service industries that deliver any kind of ongoing support or contracts. I think now in terms of, you know, maybe not your your common thought, but think of utilities that, that people in your local community, if I'm in an office building, I count on the utilities working, you know, the building, you know, functioning okay, the elevators being operational, but there are service organizations that provide, you know, repair parts for all those things. And the cost of utilities or cost of energy, if you will, has certainly gone up. So all costs have gone up. They may not be used in the product itself, but it's part of the ongoing needs or expenses that organizations, you know, you know, have to consider. And when it comes to delivering whatever service it is that they deliver. Service could be something that's very physical where they go out and maintain equipment in the field, or it could be somebody that's in the insurance business or the banking business. But they've got a supply chain themselves, that's my point. And a lot of that has to do on the expense side. So back to the fact that inflation has hit costs on everything because we've printed money. If you look at the money supply, it's gone up you know, substantially just in the last five years. Then the energy costs alone affect all goods and services structurally because everything gets delivered, everything moves. So the cost of moving freight affects the cost of any product 
it affects the cost of any supplies. It affects the cost of any transit where I've got to deliver, you know, it could be just basic fuel. Okay. Mm-hmm. To, uh, um, it could be coal. If I've got a power plant, it could be, you know, natural gas. If it's a pipeline, you know, any of those things are still affected by what I would call energy cost, meaning the cost of fuel to move and transit stuff. So now, as soon as I say that, what's left is the resources or people when it comes to professional business services. Not that companies shouldn't aggressively address their cost issues, but some of them are very structural and they have the choice of passing them on. They could put in surcharges or they have to somehow offset them. So getting the most out of each person can mean the difference in getting or winning a contract, meaning pricing or losing a contract. Execution is based on, you know, performance. And so it's at a premium and their profitability comes from that. So many customers are looking for a fixed price contract. They need to make every penny count. So this is, again, understanding your customer. They don't have the option of I can pay cost plus, okay? They are under the gun in their own business to, I can't afford anything beyond what is absolutely necessary. So the the interest in a fixed price contract is sort of through the roof when people are quoting business. So knowing the resource costs and the available assets when quoting may win the day. And so you really got to get very granular about that. And you have to know what the availability of those resources are so that when you're making that quote, can I really optimize that? You know, I, I may have some resources that I prefer, but they may be tied up. So what's my backup? Am I really going to quote this? Not assuming sort of a fixed model, but what do I have today and what can I put on paper and guarantee I can deliver this and make it profitable? So those are the things I need to worry about from my organization, the professional business services company. But I have to do that in conjunction with what I've got to deliver to that customer. So hopefully this helps in that, you know, resources are really the, they are the capacity of a professional business services company. You know, it's not, it's not material. It's not equipment. It's literally the people that are my resources. So managing that and being very, very tight on that, knowing the cost and being very granular about that is the key. It's so comprehensive and it's so good to hear from somebody who kind of lives and breathes this day and day out, you know, and from a, you know, in a really in-depth manner as well. I mean, you're talking about, for example, the fallout from the follow-on, if you like, from COVID, not just the immediate right. impact, almost like the the wave two, the the disruption which has followed. And I think that's that's hugely interesting because it seems as though those repercussions are, are kind of going to carry on for a considerable period of time yet, which is why organizations need to get to grips with this now, right? Yeah, I, I, I'll give you a good example. It was maybe more prevalent in the U.S., and so I don't know because I'm just not in Europe all the time, but I'm sure it happened to some degree. Because of, let's say, the pandemic, what did everybody do? Everybody stayed home, okay? So how did people order? Well, it was online. I mean, Amazon, you know, everybody figured out how to order from Amazon or the Amazon equivalent, wherever they happened to live, and they ordered everything from home. They ordered their groceries from home. And guess what happened? The consumer developed habits here that they're very unwilling to give up. They realize that they could get doggone near anything delivered to their house. They're less reluctant to maybe go back into the stores because they're still a little leery of, you know, is the virus still out there? 
there's there's still a concern, let me put it that way, health-wise, and there's still a press that wants to push that, if you will, the mm -hmm. media. And as a result, so you know, we haven't returned to what might have been the way things were before the pandemic, but buyers' habits, you know, we worked on with uh, a project for some folks on retail. And the customers are now driving the narrative. Where it used to be, the brand could drive what the customers were going to buy based on promotions that they offered through the channels, et cetera. And they could, you know, buy one, get one free. You know, they're going to bundle things, et cetera. No longer, because the consumers are buying, you know, if they don't get what they want, they're going to go to the next person. And if availability is not like there now, the brand loyalty has dropped and, yes. and the service factor has gone up. So what's happened is delivery is paramount. And so for overnight, the shift changed from a percent going through stores and a percent online to almost 100% online. So what that meant was disruptions in the warehouses. Now, all of a sudden, my distribution centers are shipping literally 95% going direct to customers versus maybe it was 30% prior to that. So a huge disruption on you know, the delivery of product just because of where people were ordering from and the expectations from consumers. So that happened not just in the U.S., it happened worldwide. So did companies have order management systems? So all of a sudden, where I may have been zeroed in on a problem that I was, I was engaged with a, with a professional business services company, you know, to help me on that, all of a sudden overnight, I'm worried about, can I deliver? Do I have capacity in my distribution centers? What do I need to do differently on my planning? How do I shift my visibility to where my inventory is? And so their business problems overnight change. Very dramatic. Think in terms of the food industry where we shut down restaurants immediately, whereas a high percentage, 40% was going to restaurants on the food industry. And overnight, it was 100% going through grocery stores. So I have to repackage. I have to get capacity of refrigeration, you know, mm. shifted around so I can I can just without food spoiling, how do I move that? How do I alter and change the distribution literally overnight? Yeah. And so when the restaurants start opening up, now I have to shift it back. So those kinds of changes that the public doesn't think about day to day are really what's been going on in all these call them, you know, customers that are out there that your professional business service companies are dealing with. And I use some of those, you know, illustrative examples just to explain that business changed overnight for virtually everyone that's in any kind of a supply chain at all, delivering a good or services. It's just their, their focus because of just how their customers started or changed their ordering is a very basic example of those things haven't gone away. The consumer is still driving the narrative which is really different for the brand companies that used to control that narrative. Retailers are undergoing a, a student body right, student body left, you know, shift in priorities of, you know, how they need to deal with their customers. Huge changes. Business by its very nature has changed fairly dramatically and it hasn't reverted back to what, I don't want to say normal. <laughs> I, I call it a new level of stability, Okay. And we're still figuring out what that stability level is, if that helps. Yeah, no, it, it does. I think some of the stuff you were talking about leads 
very naturally into the next question that I'm going to ask, which is uncertainty, right? Competition, economic volatility. I think you used the V word, you know, quite a few times in that last answer, Brian. And they all influence project profitability, don't they? And businesses need to tighten their belts while, you know, they're operating on those thin margins that you were alluding to. You know, with with that in mind, can you tell me about the importance of you know, really keeping a, a very close eye on resources with the help of technology. I, I know that sounds kind of obvious, but clearly there are various ways of, of thinking about that. Yeah. So now let me kind of go from the backdrop for why professional business services need to zero in mm. on the resource management. One is that is their capacity. I'm not saying that they don't re- already realize that. My point is maybe they could use estimates where I could take a yearly estimate of what my costs were on a given project. Now I've really got to get very granular because of, let's say, the fixed price contracts have increased the desire for that by a lot of customers. So knowing your costs, meaning not just the average estimate, I've got to know my costs based on the resources I can deploy. Well, that's a little different model because maybe the back office isn't quite in tune with that. They don't have it at the individual resource level. And then they have to tweak some of their back office processes to capture that or to provide that or provide visibility to that. It could be the data is there. I'm sure it is in some form. But now they may have to mine that a little bit and make it available to those that are doing the estimates. It's the estimating side of that you know, and getting very granular about that, then it's the rates that they're having to pay, you know, as they go out and they're competing for resources in the market, the competition itself being number one on the list. It's not just for contracts. It's also competition for the resources, which is their capacity, where it's very, very competitive. In other words, because business has shifted, you know, at the customer level, what the customers actually is needing, the need for different kinds of resources, a different focus on resources. I may need more supply chain people, cost reduction folks, as opposed to transformational software, okay? In other words, the nature of the kind of resources I need could have shifted. So again, knowing your resources and what they can deliver and the actual cost that you're actually incurring today on those resources when you make those estimates is very critical. When I say estimates, knowing what you're you're having to pay for that type of resource and then the individuals involved. And then do I have enough, the fundamental capacity itself? You know, maybe I beefed them up, but maybe I'm still right on the edge of, okay, I've got to go to a secondary level, a little more general resources, general resource to augment, you know, the the project team, if you will. And maybe I've got to do a little better job now on the execution where I have to track this weekly. I can't go with a monthly review sort of approach. I have to sort of make this more timely, almost real time. So if I'm a project manager, I want to know, you know, if I'm going to lose a day or two out of the week, you know, on my cost, because just a small increment can make a difference on it, given that I probably quoted it pretty tightly, just any deviation from what my expectations were in my model, you know, when I quoted could mean the difference in profitability versus, you know, taking a loss or breaking even. So I I say this because now the granularity of the back office visibility and availability of data to the person and have it in their hands 
it's generating this estimate, if you will, and then to the project managers to say, hey, this has changed on your project. You know, we were expecting this person to be on there for a week and all of a sudden they're out sick. I exaggerate the situation because you always get some unknown that pops up on a project, but you probably estimate in, I'm going to lose a little bit because people get sick. There's, or they've got a family emergency that happens. And then, you know, professional business service companies are used to modeling some of that, but I need to know when I just went over the edge and exceeded any limits that I might've built in. And that's the point I've got to, I've got to know, and I can't wait a month to figure that out or even a week in some cases, I may need to backstop, you know, that project and get another resource overnight, you know, have them show up and at least be available to, to pick up the ball and run with it. So I'm exaggerating the point of managing the people closely, but part of managing closely means I've got to have the feedback on what's actually going on compared to what the model said to begin with. And so that means I've got to know almost in real time what's happening at the project level and even, you know, at the, pro you know, I, I guess in the, at the finance level too, am I ahead or behind and, and the total project cost. I'm really getting down to the how you do the resource management and in sort of a, a day in day out basis. Yeah. That helps hugely helpful, and especially for our listeners who are, you know they want to get really down in the weeds with it. It's, what's interesting is when you were talking, it's like it, it hits me that it's the sheer scale of those variables that probably impact some of these projects. Right? It's okay you factor in some form of potential you know, loss or something, someone gets sick, but, you know, the sheer scale of what's happened in, you know, the last two years, it makes it exceptionally difficult to kind of factor that in. And you, meaning that you have to, you know, do your resource management optimization at a very kind of acute level, a very, you know, very granular level, as you were talking about, right? So that's, that's, that's hugely interesting. And it, there's two reasons for it. One is to know how I can best estimate and I can, I'll have confidence in that. And anybody that is doing an estimate and call it, Make that planning. I'll, I'll up the level of the word of planning. Yeah. And when there's uncertainty, what do people do? And I've seen this in supply chain forever. They hedge. Okay. So if I'm uncertain about a supplier, I'll pad the timing or I'll pad the inventory that I need because you get beat around the head and shoulders if you have too much of something, but you get fired if you run out. Okay. <laughs> so right. very the same issue with somebody who's estimating on a project, you know, if they're uncertain, they're going to build in some amount of hedge because the last thing they want to do is under spec it and then end up, you know, and you know, then when they don't want to lose the deal. So they've got, they've got the decision both ways. So they've got to screw it down as much as they can. But if there's an uncertainty about the resources themselves, they're going to build in some kind of hedge to protect themselves and the company. Yeah. So the, the more granular they can make that, the less hedge they're going to build in, more competitive they'll be, and arguably the closer to what reality will be when they execute. So that's part of the key is eliminating the need for those hedges by making those, those costs very, very real and having tremendous confidence in that when you quote. So it's on the quotation side and estimating planning side, as well as then on the execution side, where I've got to make that information available. So if, if I expect, you know, to track at that level, I have to know day in, day out. And it could be they don't have all those things exactly in place. Now, I'm sure they're realizing they've got to have them in place. Everyone would aspire to that. 
but you know they should they should be reviewing that and up up leveling that if they need to so Perfect. Yeah, great answer. We touched on it a little bit, but I know you've been looking at the planning and resource optimization through the eyes of uh, professional and business services companies in a new piece of research that Workday has sponsored. What was the main idea behind that research and what are the top line things that that jumped out of you in, in that research? Sure. So the first thing was when you say optimization to end users that I write for, I mean, uh, the end users use our research. When you say optimization, they're thinking of some kind of a mathematical, you know, model that that is okay. So, what does resource optimization mean? Well, it almost depends on who you ask. Okay, so yeah. we we took a specific look, and we kind of used these four areas. We said when we talk about resource management, what is important? What would you look at? And we said, well. Let's take some very obvious things. I would evaluate how we're doing on retention. My ahead or behind? How am I doing on my hiring? Can I get the resources that I want when I I want to? And we asked those questions in our survey. Those are two of them. The next one is productivity improvement year over year. Am I ahead or behind on that compared to the competition? And the fourth one is utilization. Literally, how am I utilizing my folks? And this would be hours available versus hours billed or something like that. Literally, a utilization metric. Everybody may have some nuance about that, but we took, we asked those questions on our survey and we measured, you know, we asked people to, to give us a always, sometimes, you know, never sort of calculation, you know, always, most of the time, you know, sometimes and never and give us a, a one to four kind of estimate but we get pretty good information about that you know and so we we certainly have companies that talk about we can always get the people we need and those are probably the you know the leaders in the field yeah. and then the people that are doing a great job on retention because they pay well work environments great and they're you know, they feel rewarded, they feel valued. The productivity, however they measure it today, what was it last year and has that improved? And we find out that our, when our, we talk about our, our methodology on evaluating companies, we use the term best in class companies, which are the top 20%. And we use the top 20% based on these four metrics, okay, utilization being the last one. And we said, okay, let's understand based on these metrics, you know, what companies are the best in class? And then let's compare what the best in class are doing at their capability level to sort of get to these numbers. What are the things that they do differently? But the first thing is understanding of, you got to define what resource optimization is. And so we we took a, a, a pretty good snapshot, which we think capsulizes what resource optimization would be you had to define it for an organization, it would be some balance of all four of these kinds of metrics. So I wanted to maybe address that part of it first, because that's the key to the kingdom, understanding what's the criteria, okay? So we use these criteria, but then that lets us go look at, I call it the process capabilities, the organizational capabilities, the back office capabilities, and then talk about that at the level of project management, talk about that at the level of what those metrics are when it comes to when we define resource optimization. 
But at the process level, we saw those things jump off the table. We looked at, you know, organizational things are doing differently. You know, a feedback in terms of back office, real-time information on projects. Those are the sort of things that jumped off the table at us and said, this is where we really get granularity. And, you know, there's there's significant differences there. And when I say differences, these are not like slightly incremental. These are like the best in class or 10 or 20% stronger in this area versus, you know, the competition who are the other remaining 80%. And so you have to look at for the differentiators. And, and when you're talking about that is because you have to say, well, if everything is the same, then why are the best in class better in their performance? So you have to look at the things that are different to articulate what gets you to the better performance. So I hope that makes sense just at the methodology level. Brilliant. Yeah, it's perfect, Brian. And we've touched on this a little bit. So, you know, but thinking about those challenges and why organizations in this sector sometimes struggle to optimize resources, what are they? And what do you hear about these issues when you talk to people that are actually going through it? Great point and a great question. And I've alluded to it a little bit, but I would say talking about it is one thing. But if you go back to the definition of what we used for the criteria for it, which is retention, utilization, hiring, and productivity effectiveness. Now you start, what do I need to do to optimize all four of those things? In other words, how do I improve those four things? Well, I'll go back to anything, you know, in management. Talking about it's one thing, but you need to start measuring those if you're not, okay? Mm -hmm. And you could pick the degree and, and to what you consider good or bad, that's everybody's got their own definition for I'm doing a good job here, a bad job here, but you got to start measuring. So you know what the baseline is if you're not measuring. And if you are, now you start measuring and then you start getting the feedback on those measures. Am I actually tracking it? And what's the frequency of the feedback? I would maintain you've got to know almost daily. We got to be tracking all the time. So measuring constantly is key and some of it needs to be daily and the feedback needs to be daily such as where am i on my project at the execution level what changed and really i'm looking for the exception i mean i'm not saying i have to look at everything to, to find anything i would view this as an exception management but you've got to set those things up so that those um alerts going to a project manager or to somebody in accounting or finance who's tracking this on a perspective holistic project basis okay you know have i got a problem in one segment of my project you know where i've got project managers in four different locations so you've got to have that structure built in so i can see very quickly when things get off the you know go out of bounds and the value of having alerts against those you know what's the criteria are key which means now i have to have the business systems in place so i would say you know, measuring feedback is the key. And like I say, talking about it's one thing, but you've got to look at the granular levels of what metrics need to improve. And then, you know, look at those things as the the overall things I've got to be adjusting and measuring and tracking. So I know when I'm, I'm, I'm headed for trouble, you want to know it, you want to wait till the problem occurred, 
you want to be looking at the you know the actual metrics that make the difference and so when those things go out of bounds I, i'm expecting a problem to occur could be a week could be a month but i know i'm in trouble so either yeah. at the call it the bidding level the the estimate level or at the, the execution level. That's perfect. And I know we're running out of time quickly, but I appreciate the depth of your answers. And I know you're a busy man. You've got to jump off in a couple of secs to, to get back into your kind of consultation role. But the, the last question I had for you, you know, nobody has a crystal ball to predict the future. I mean, the last two years have proven that, right? But how do you see the supply chain, especially from a professional business services perspective, changing in 2023 and beyond? How should businesses be improving their resilience to cope with further change in uncertainty? It's, it's a, a great question. And I, I wish I had the crystal ball. <laughs> and, and some of the crystal ball, um, I, I'm using, I am a Brian ball, but not a crystal ball, okay? So I'll use my last name as part of that. But I go back to the fundamentals of what has changed. And one of them has been inflation. And because of what we've done in terms of printing money, which has not helped the situation, and the second one there being the costs, which are now structural because of fuel increases, energy increases, which has impacted everybody, everywhere, all around the world, at every level, whether it's a product or at the service, and service could be, you know, the building that I've got my employees in, or the cost of my data centers because they utilize, you know, energy, you know, and managing vast amounts of data. I exaggerate the point so that people realize, you know, I don't have to be bringing a, a physical product in the door. It may be the things that I use to keep my, my business running. That's a, a real keyer. But I think the same things are going to stay with us until we resolve the differences, fundamentals behind that. And barring external influence so barring political or policies you know this is going to stick with us until something changes now you could you could be the judge on what's going to change and by what degree but i think the key here is that that may change depending on your your location in the world because of policy or politics if you will it could change you know because of where you source your product so I, there's not one, one silver bullet here. And, you know, I would look to the fundamentals that have to change to influence that, which are going to be, you know, inflation costs and call it energy as part of that, uh, as well as, you know, fundamental money management. We're stuck with that until something changes there or something changes to influence that, if that makes sense. So I realize that's a bit of a cop-out, but I no, mean, that's no. where I see it, you know? No, absolutely, Brian. There's uh, there's certainly no crystal ball. So um, just to get your expertise and, and insight on this is is uh, extremely valuable to our audience. Um, that's all we've got time for today, unfortunately. So thanks so much to Brian Ball from the Aberdeen Group for joining me today on the Workday podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can listen to more on blogs.workday.com or you can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'm Steve Dunn and thanks for listening. Have a great workday.